You are listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. And now, here's Mark Miller and David Moulton. It is the final hour of Miller and Moulton along the network. The Diamond District bonus hour for our loyal 239 audience is one hour away. Brad Gilly, kind enough to join us once again. It has been a while. You can hear him, and hopefully you are, all across PRN and every darn week. He does a ton of work on SiriusXM's NASCAR Channel 90, including hosting the post-race shows every week. Follow Brad on Twitch, Twitter slash X, at Brad Gilly, G-I-L-L-I-E. Brad, it's David and Mark. Good morning. Thanks for your time. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for giving me the time. Really appreciate talking to you guys. Well, we love when you make time for us. Okay, before we get your thoughts, what was the audience's thought? to Ross's move there at the end. Were they okay with it? Did they feel it was necessary? Let's talk the very end and what the NASCAR fan nationwide said to you after the race last night. Well, look, if you're a Chastain fan, you're a fan of him going for it. If if you're a blame Chastain fan, uh, then you look at that and say, oh, what was he doing? But you know, if you really break down what happened um, what on what was essentially the final lap of the race last night, you had like two different things going on at once. You had the inside lane going with Austin Sendrick leading, Corey LaJoy right behind him, and Corey LaJoy gave Austin Sendrick just a wicked push, which actually got him loose and sent him toward the infield, and he corrected it. But right at the same time, Alex Bowman did the same to Ross Chastain, gave him a huge push, which kind of vaulted Ross Chastain to be able to drive right up to the back bumper of William Byron. And while Austin Sendrick was collecting his car down on the apron, there was an opening for Ross Chastain. And he went low below Byron to take it right about the same time that Austin Sendrick was correcting his car and it was shooting back up onto the racetrack. And, well, then you had that big wreck triggered, which turned out to be the final one and uh, put us under caution on the white flag lap, effectively ending the race. So I think if you analyze it and you look at it and say, well, that was just a Daytona wreck, um, a lot of things happened behind Chastain and next to Chastain for him to actually have been involved in that. And Byron gets the win. He's involved in the wreck earlier uh in the in the final 10 laps there, maybe getting that started. But for Byron, obviously, uh, it could have turned out a lot of different ways. You need a little luck to win Daytona. Yeah, you do. And honestly, his luck came when the caution flew because, um, you know, you can go back and look at several replays and a lot of people were thinking, oh, no, Alex Bowman was in front of uh, William Byron when the caution came out because uh, that's when the race actually ends, not – at the start-finish line in that situation, it actually ends at the time of caution. But, um, you know, NASCAR goes back. They have video time stamped and all of that. And, yeah, so in a lot of ways, he was lucky by when the yellow light came out because his teammate Alex Bowman was coming on pretty strong. But, you know, it takes luck and it takes skill. And the crazy thing is that William Byron has won at Daytona before. He won the, uh, the summer race there before, uh, back when Chad Knauss was still his crew chief. But he had a DNF in every single Daytona 500 since he came full-time in the Cup Series in 2018. The one he finally finishes, he wins. Not a bad deal. Do you think, Brad, they will ever revisit this final lap in this instance? Everything you said is accurate. You know, when the yellow caution light came on, but the wreck 
actually is taking place before they cross the start-finish line. Now, I know it's difficult to instantaneously hit the button and say, okay, yellow, yellow. But, Brad, you know what I'm getting at here. By about 50 to 100 yards, you know, Bowman wasn't across the start-finish line when Chastain got wrecked, if you know what I mean. You Going forward, do you think NASCAR says, you know, we don't want to end the Daytona 500 like this in the future? Do we green-white checker that sucker? Yeah, I, I think they're always open to revisiting something. Um, but if you look at, I mean, the way the rule book reads, it's at the time of caution. And it's NASCAR's discretion as to when they throw that caution. If you go later in the night to the NASCAR Xfinity Series race, you had a pretty wild wreck going on. And they let them race back to the start-finish line in that particular instance. Now, um, and it's really easy to say, well, why did you let the Xfinity cars race back to the start-finish line, but you weren't going to let the cup cars do it? And I don't think you could have let the Cup cars do it because the wreck was happening at the start-finish line, um, and there were going to be cars that are going to be sitting there when someone's trying to come back. Now, do they let them go further down the track? Do they not? You know, that's up to them and what they see and how quickly they need to roll safety equipment, in their opinion. But um, I don't, you know, and I realize the wreck had started beforehand, but, again, sometimes they might let them race half a lap if they feel it's safe to do so. Sometimes they might let them go further. So... I'm comfortable with saying it's at the time of caution, and uh, I think the competitors are comfortable saying it. I think the one dispute they might have sometimes is, well, why did you throw the caution then, and you didn't throw it over here? But, um, you know, that, that that's sort of a different sort of debate on what the judgment is in that. But I think I'm okay with the way the rule's written, but it wouldn't put past me for them to uh, constantly look and see what might, the, what might make things better. All in all, what was your takeaway from the race, Brad? You know, it, it, uh, it was interesting because if you go back to a lot of the race, well, the teams and crews were sort of sciencing things out to the point where they were like, hey, if we only go at about 60 to 80% throttle, we can save fuel, we can make our last pit stop here, and so on and so forth. And I think we had, you know, um, for the most part, the Daytona 490, that was pretty safe and people giving each other a lot of room. And then in the final 10 laps of the race, um, that's when things got a little bit crazy. You know, I would like to see more movement through the field while the green flag is out. And, you know, on lap 250 or, you know, mile marker 250 or, you know, 150 or whatever it might be. But I think we had a thrilling finish, and the chess match that was going on to me was pretty fascinating. And who was going to pit road with whom and all of those other things. But, I don't know, maybe a little more mixing it up mid-race would have made me a little happier. Is Daytona so different than just about any other race that, don't draw any conclusions about which race teams will be good, which race teams may struggle, which manufacturers may be good, which manufacturers may be struggling this year. Do you just push all of that to the side and you go to Atlanta and almost start fresh? (laughs) Well, I I almost push it aside and go to Vegas and start fresh because (laughs) Atlanta uh, races very similar to Daytona now. And, um, and, uh, I think Atlanta is a little less random, you know, William Byron's won two of the races on the new configuration since we've been there and Joey Logano and Chase Elliott have won the other two, but you know, it, but the great thing about Daytona is it is random, but yeah, we don't know. And to the manufacturer point, it was crazy to think that we had two Fords qualify in single car speeds and start on the front row with Joey Logano and Michael McDowell. We had two Toyotas 
when they're with uh, uh, Tyler Reddick and Christopher Bell. And then when they practiced on Friday, we had eight Fords. Uh, I'm sorry, we had eight Toyotas and seven Fords, and the highest finishing Chevy was 15th in practice, and everyone worried about how good they were going to be in practice. Well, turned out they were pretty good when it came to the race time because that's where they took the checkered flag and finished 1-2. Byron winning this, you know, learning how to drive on a computer, starting later than most at, at 13, be it. Um, this is a hell of a story. Is, is What type of a star can he be on this circuit? You know, William Byron is still coming into his own when it comes to personality. Um, you know, and he's a really good young man. He really is. And he's a fun, smiling young man. And I think shows like the Netflix special are going to bring that out. As a racer, um, he just gets out there and gets it done. You know, he won more races than anyone last year with six, fell a little bit short of the championship. But the good thing is William Byron's going to be around for, you know, maybe another two decades in the sport. And as he continues to grow, I think his fandom is going to grow with him. It doesn't hurt that he drives a pretty famous race car and Jeff Gordon's former number, or, you know, Jeff Gordon's number 24, which, you know, he, he won four championships in 93 races. But, um, you know, I like William. I like William, and I think as uh, as he continues to mature, people are going to relate to him a lot more and uh, and actually see the personality shine. Obviously, you're an insider when it comes to NASCAR. We're not. So we were taken aback by the news that came out over the weekend about all of the race teams united, in theory, against NASCAR right now and they're even willing to hire the number one antitrust lawyer in the country, which shows that obviously this dispute is real. Are you surprised by what came out over the weekend? I'm actually pleasantly surprised that this is not a more public thing in that team owners are, you know, using the media to, to give their position and NASCAR is using media to give their side of things. Honestly, this is not really any different than, say, a collective bargaining agreement with a players' union and a league. And we've seen it in all stick-and-ball sports, from football to baseball to basketball to hockey and so on and so forth. And where the team owners are sitting right now, they're saying, look, there is a, uh, uh, a big chunk of money that comes from the television contract, and where does it get divided and where do we fit into that? And that's where they're having a little bit of a disagreement right now. They're also saying the charters that we own, which, you know, would be, say, the equivalent to franchises and other sports, right now aren't permanent. Um, they, they have an expiration date. And if we want to actually have value in our team and in the ownership of those charters, which at the beginning were selling for, you know, a million dollars and the last one sold for $40 million, they're going up in value exponentially. We actually want to have more concrete ownership in that. And, uh, you know, there's been some sword rattling that's gone on with that. And there's been some negotiating strategies that have gone on with that. Where I feel better about all of this is that what the team owners and what NASCAR are saying is, look, we'll get a deal done. We just want to make sure that we're on the right side of it. And in any negotiations, in a perfect world, both sides walk away feeling they got the most of what they were going to get. And, um, you know, we'll see how we get to that. But, you know, I don't know what they would look at when it comes to antitrust and different things like that. Uh, you know, the sport's been run this way for 75 years. And, um, you know, and, and NASCAR has given the ownership a whole lot more. And the ownership feels like they deserve more. So um, I'm sure the two sides will come to a conclusion. Ideally, it happens sooner rather than later. 
Yes, it has been quite the benevolent dictatorship, and I would hopefully that everybody can uh, keep on keeping on. Brad, thanks for making time for us. Safe travels, whether it be Atlanta, Vegas, and what have you, and hopefully we can catch up down the road. Well, thank you very much, and uh, look forward to being back in your beautiful state before too long with more great NASCAR racing. Thanks, Mark and David. Brad Gilley, post-race, every NASCAR race, he's hosting the show on SiriusXM's NASCAR Channel 90, and then when PRN, Performance Racing Network, has the race, well, he's an instrumental part of the broadcast. Brad Gilley, G-I-L-L-I-E. They get ang- that The post-race crowd is much like a post-college football crowd following a loss, David, but it doesn't matter. Every race is the same. They bring angst to the post-game show. Miller and Moulton, thanks so much for listening. Where else but right here on the Florida Sports Network. You're listening to Miller and Moulton, exclusively on the Florida Sports Network. 21 minutes past the hour. Thanks so much for being with us, Miller and Moulton. Florida Sports Network, at least until nine Eastern, then you know we're just uh, we're a local show in the two three nine, and that's when the Diamond District Bonus Hour comes in. Brandon Stroud is going to call into the show in a little more than fifteen minutes. He's a senior guard with the Bulls of South Florida. That's your first place in the American. Thank you very much, Bulls of South Florida. He was with uh, Amir Abdul Rahim at Kennesaw State. They won the A Sun title, went to the tournament there, which they had never done. He followed his coach to USF, and now they're doing things that they haven't done, to, well, damn near in 30 years. Only gone to the tournament once in 30 years, you know. You know, they held on for dear life in that game, but they came out guns a blazing and just lit them up. Up in the first half. Did you see the coach before the game, too? It's raining. The crowd's waiting outside. Coach is out in the rain. No jacket. Cla- doing Clapping hands. Going, we ready? We fired up. Crowd's all into it. Okay, everybody fist bumping, high five, the whole deal. It was that great. joint was jumping. It was great. I, you know, thought of them throughout the game going, you know, when they have their own football stadium. On campus and the way that the students were acting towards the basketball team, spectacular scene, spectacular scene. Not only that, did you look at it and go, wow, this is going to look good in the ACC? Did you think that at all out loud? Because I did. I go, boy, that's going to look good in the ACC in about three years. That's going to look good. No, Um, no, I didn't, David, because because it's depressing. Well, it's just, it's college sports. It's right? reality, but it doesn't mean it's not depressing. Right. Like, something I got to bring up with you. What are you talking about? We've screwed up. What are you talking about? We've had a hell of a show. Nah, we failed. What? We had one job. We take one day off, and we completely forget everything we've built up in the first six, seven weeks of the year. What are you talking about? What's the poll question today? Oh, snap. I blame me. I blame you. But most importantly, I blame Trent. There we go. I'll shoulder this one. This is on me. There we go. Now we're talking, Mark. There you go. Let's pull a Rick Pitino. Let's Let's deflect. Combine right here 
and pull a Rick Patino. You know what, Trent? You've got bad lateral movement. Okay? Sorry. Nothing you can do about it either. You're a nice guy. You play hard. You got bad lateral movement, Trent. Anybody catch what Patino said? St. John's blew like a – they led by 19 late first half, by 12 at the half against Seton Hall. They lost. They they have virtually no shot at the tournament now. Patino comes out, trashes everything about his team. Our facilities suck. He used the expletive I can't use. He, our assistants recruited the wrong guys. Okay, we're slow. We can't guard without fouling. This has been the most unenjoyable year I've ever had in coaching. The most unenjoyable experience of my lifetime of is the my exact life. Quote. The most unenjoyable experience of my lifetime. Wow. He even said worse than when he said Larry Bird's not walking through that door. Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish are not walking through that door. You guys got to get over it. Worse than that, apparently. Damn. Wow. So are we we're not going to come down that hard on Trent, are we? No. No, I mean, because we also have to shoulder the blame. Our name is on the show. Well, Rick Pacino's the head coach of St. John's. He didn't shoulder any of the blame. None. None. And then the next day, and when he gets tarred and feathered in the New York papers, all right. And they all show back up at St. John's the next day. And he goes, well, first off, I didn't trash anybody. And secondly, I don't take back a word that I said. <laughs> Look, Joel's slow laterally. He's not fast on the court. Chris Lundlum is slow laterally. Sean Conway, slow laterally. Brady, physically weak. And Drissa, slow laterally. I don't know. Sounds like you ripped your team apart I, in one sentence. I was going to say this – When's the last time we heard coaches mention players by name publicly? This isn't like a post-game meeting with his staff in which the kids went to eat and they're sitting around talking about what's our problem. Well, I'll tell you what our problem is. Smith sucks. Jones is worse. Okay. I got no use for McAdams. I didn't want Rooney on the team. I mean, my goodness. He followed it up with, we recruited the antithesis of the way I coach with speed, quickness, fundamental strength, and toughness. It's a good group. They try hard, but they're just not very tough. Right. I, I mean, if there anything yeah. else, coach. I mean, about the only thing we can say about Trent is he's slow laterally because he is tough. All right. He does try hard. He's a good guy. I mean, all we got, Trent, you're slow laterally, okay? I haven't irritated you guys enough lately. I need to get back on the annoying train because that's when the poll questions come out. <laughs> wow, all three of us forgot about a poll question. All three of us. Damn. And, yes, I mean, the pre-show text came out with an addendum. Followed. I, I mean, there were follow-ups. There, were, there was a conversation. I mean, I have to admit, I did my part. What the hell did you guys do? You know what? It's a dadgum good point, David. I'll shoulder the responsibility for this. Oh, it's Trent, man. He's slow laterally, damn it. It's me. You know what we're doing after the show? Agility drills. Uh, Hey, um, you know, for years, you've always said to me, David, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. This is a trait of Miller and Moulton that goes back to the beginning of time. 
I was going to say to at least the third grade, Mrs. Farwell. So no, it goes before that for me. Okay, good, good, well done, sir. So um, apparently, well, not apparently, it, it happened. Uh, my wife was talking to me, and uh, I was paying attention. I which for eye contact and everything. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, well, no, actually, no. Eye contact. And here's how I can tell you it was eye contact. Because midway through talking to me, she stopped. And I was looking right at her, and I went, what? And she said, you need to learn, quote, to be gentle in your face, unquote. Excuse me? To be gentle in your face to be gentle in your face apparently my looks besides being ugly my looks are not good they they put people off they're intimidating they're threatening i can relate to that facial expression and so i did think of you and i wondered immediately you know if i were to talk to mark's wife right now and ask her is he gentle in his face no Probably a negative there. So, uh, you know, we've had certain sayings, you know, on the show over the years. Okay. Uh, A year ago, we came up with the show can be a dark pit of despair. All right. Uh, Tough as woodpecker lips. I I do like that one. I do like that one. Tough as woodpecker lips. Now... I'm typing into my phone right now. Be gentle in your face. That seems that would be a good attribute. I don't know if it's an attribute you and I can learn at this point in our lives. I think the gentle face passed us way back in the 80s, at least. (laughs) Uh, Miller and Moulton. Proud sponsors of Dove Skincare. Dove, it makes them gentle in their face. I mean, what are we going to do with this? So, Trent, work on your damn agility. And Miller and Moulton are going to work on being gentle in our face. We're going to talk South Florida basketball next. Welcome back to Miller and Moulton, only on the Florida Sports Network. Twenty-two minutes before the hour, Pat Kerwin normally on a Tuesday. Schedule didn't work out for today. It works for tomorrow. So Pat Kerwin, Seth Everett, on the show tomorrow. Not a bad way to get over the hump, if we do say so ourselves. David, we are uh, in. We've been inundated with a lot of text after that last segment on okay. your on your face. Or lack of gentle face. Right. Be gentle in, in your the, face. Be gentle in your face. That's what I was told. This person, you know, a lot of people asking if it's male RBF. And I don't know if the middle word's right. But I get your point. This person says, I'm always smiling because my first job required us to smile. The smile was part of the uniform. 
How long would you and I have lasted at a job where the smile was part of the uniform? Um, lunch? No way. There's no way I would have made it to lunch. First time the super- supervisor came by and said, smile, I would have been like, why? <laughs> no, I wouldn't have made it to lunch. No way. You I don't think we would have made it through. Smile, I'll smile. Yeah, I don't think we would have made it through the orientation meeting. If you know what I mean. I think that would have been the end of us right there. Others suggesting Trent can do the three-cone drill while David and Mark do the three-smile drill. You know, Trent can smile for the two of us combined. He is so damn happy with life, all right? He, He has, you know how some people take up all the oxygen to the room? Trent will do all the smiling for the show. They come up to Miller and Moulton. They go, smile. We go, no, we have to introduce you to Trent. Okay, Trent, take it away. That's about right. 21,000 is the text line. 21000, you want to chime in on anything or that we've talked about or anything that you want to talk about for that matter. It's the beauty of the text line. You can get on anything that you would like. Well, we've been looking forward to this for a long time because we have been on their bandwagon now, well, a little longer than everybody else. It's the Bulls of South Florida. They're in first place in the American, thank you very much. 19 wins on the season, 12-1 and in conference. They took down nationally ranked FAU Sunday before a packed house. Brandon Stroud, senior guard, who came to the program from... Kennesaw State, which is where his coach was a year ago. Brandon is kind enough to join us right now. You can follow him on Twix, Twitter, slash X at GVLD Shots. GVLD Shots. Brandon, it's David and Mark. Congratulations. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, we're doing great. First off, I mean, there's a lot of ground we can cover here in about 12 minutes, but just take us to Sunday afternoon. That scene... I know that the place was sold out or close to it, the home game before that, but the scene Sunday, which seemed to feed you guys. No, it was a great atmosphere. You know, the fans got in there, like, during our warm-ups. They usually get in there, like, during game time, but they was in there during our warm-ups, start of our warm-ups. So just seeing the crowd and seeing the band get in there really early was exciting because, you know, you've never seen that before besides one game. But the atmosphere was great, you know, in the locker room it was great, good vibes, just you know, another regular game for us. Well, it, it I mean, I don't know about that, Brandon, because it wasn't a regular first half. You guys lit them up in the first half, making a lot of threes, and it, it seemed that every shot that went in, the, the 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 crowd kept you guys in it. I mean, you got you guys were feeding off of them; they were feeding off of you. That first half had to be an electric atmosphere. Uh, yes, you know, well, recently for our games, we don't do good in first halves, but the last two games we've been doing good in our first half, not trailing, you know, being down in the second half, so. We just want to come out better in the second half, and the crowd was amazing, man. It's Chris hitting that D three, Cell hitting the transition three, man. The crowd got electric, so we just fed off that, and we just kept going from there. Have you done anything differently to get off the better starts, or is it just something that's happened? Uh, just, uh, just act like we want to be there like a purpose, man. You know, not trying to be a second half team. We're trying to be a forty minute team. You know, just changing our mindset because um, we used to be the hunter, so now we're being hunted. So just, you know. Having that mindset, we got to play 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 40 minutes. And that's just what we're preaching. 
And it's one thing to hit all the threes, but it seemed as if it was set up by your defense. Just talk about the way you guys played defensively in that game because it seemed that you were able to get some turnovers, get some loose balls, get a lot of rebounds that really helped the offense. Uh, yeah, we wanted to get a transition. You know, we played good in transition. We want to move the ball up the floor, get a rebound, get a steal. You know, play fast. You know, that's how we get our starts early, just play fast. And we'll slow it down in the second half, but we just like to play fast in the first half. And I feel like we got good to that first FAU, just getting in transition, getting threes up, you know, playing excited basketball. Brandon Stroud, senior guard for the Bulls of South Florida, 19-5 and on the season, getting a lot of votes, not ranked yet, 12-1 and atop the American, a game ahead of Charlotte, two ahead of FAU. Brandon joins us here on Miller and Moulton. All right, let's go back four years. I know you grew up near Kennesaw State, but Coach is going to win one game your senior year of high school, and he's recruiting you. Why did you follow him to Kennesaw State, first off, and then now you followed him to Tampa? What is it about a coach, Amir Abdul-Rahim, in which you said, yeah, I like to play for this guy? Um, Coach Ramirez creates real relationships, man. It's not just about basketball. He wants to be a better man, person, just everything around me. And that's just what I wanted, you know, just being away from my family. I needed a, uh, let me not say a father figure, but like a figure that could help me throughout life. And he's been there for me ever since. So I would never trade up on that guy, man. He's a great guy. What is it? that he does that's different than other coaches you were around? I mean, obviously, AAU ball, high school ball, you've played around a lot of guys. What is it that makes him special? Uh, he's just like my other college coaches. I mean, other like my high school coach, you know, he comes too easy to talk to. You know, he pushes me in another way that I, I can't see. So he has a vision for me. You know, even though I might not have a vision for myself, he has that vision. You know, he can see it, and he just pushes me. Like It's never a day. Never a day he doesn't hold me accountable. You know what I'm saying? So it was just a great way to learn to keep going through our Kennesaw and just listening to him, you know. Brandon, we're pretty familiar with the A-Sun, and we know that Kennesaw hadn't done much of anything. And then you guys go and win the darn thing. All right. And now South Florida, 30 years, one tournament appearance. And now here you guys are in first place in the conference. I mean, how many of your teammates – we're turning to you early in the season or even during workouts in which you're like, I'm telling you, okay, we win with this guy. Just believe in coach. We win. Cause I mean, if you think about it, Brandon, I mean, if you could get it done at Kennesaw state, you can get it done anywhere. Uh, yeah, it was just a testament to our team and just the, the group of guys we got just wanted to win and wanted to buy in. It wasn't always easy, you know, but, you know, just our summer workouts and our summer conditioning and stuff like that, just buying in, you know. I really appreciate the guys, all 15, for buying in. There's no one foot in, one foot out. Everybody got two feet in. And just believe in what he's saying because it's been working, you know. Believe in what he's saying, just run through a brick wall for him. Just blind trust, really, just blind trust. Well, you guys started out not all that great, two and four after six. So was there a turning point? I mean, I know you beat Florida State handily and things started to go there, but buying in when you're two and four is tough to do. Was there a turning point early in the season? Uh, no, you got to stay with it, man. You win some, you lose some. But just just we didn't splinter. You know, after everybody said we were going to be a bust, two and four. But just credit to the guys, man, for staying together and not splintering, man. We could have went left, but we, everybody put their head down and kept working and kept working and kept working. So it's just been a, been a great year for us.
you said you started out as the hunters and now in the last couple of weeks you've become the hunted is it a different feeling do you see it differently from the teams that's playing you is it different going from the hunters to the hunted oh for sure man you know being at a different level it is you know people playing hard you know at Kennesaw, it was we was you know we was doing good, so we was being hunted. But it's the same feeling at Kennesaw. I I got that experience, so I know what it feels like. So I'm just trying to relate a message to the guys, man. We got a different target on our back. We got to have a different level of focus, connection, and you know just throughout the whole game of 40 minutes, and especially practice, and take one day at a time. How are you able to take the practice from the game? Because it's, you've mentioned practice almost in every answer and talk about the work ethic. How are you guys able to take what you're doing during the week and translate it to the games? Uh, man, practice is uh, practice like the game, man. I'm not going to lie to you. So, like, we practice so hard. Like, the game just – now, I wouldn't say easy, but familiar. So, like, we just practice so hard, man. And, just, and then we got a group of guys, 15 guys that want to practice and want to be there for each other. The game just – you just – like, you see, we out there flowing, passing the ball. Like, the game is just, just familiar with us because we practice like the game, you know, coach – Keep us, keep us grounded and keep us humble and saying we got to practice hard and practice is the game. So that's really what it be. Brandon, how does it feel to be a part of this again? I mean, you changed things at Kennesaw State, and now you're changing things at South Florida. You're a big part of that. You know, starter in both places, big minutes, key role. How does it feel to be a part of changing two athletic departments? Uh, it feels good, you know. Uh, appreciate God for giving me this opportunity to do this. But I wouldn't be able to do it without Coach Amir and the guys who recruited, especially at Kennesaw. We had a good group. I appreciate all them boys. And just, just following Amir, man, his, his plan, man, he's a visionary. And, you know, he got the vision. We follow him. We do. So it's been great uh, these two years being with him. You know, there was no hesitation on when he was coming to South Florida. I told him I would come. And, you know, it's just been great for me. You've been looking out for me my whole my whole high, uh, my whole college career. So it's really that guy, testament to that guy. How tight did you guys get? I mean, you were up 25, and all of a sudden they start chipping away at it. The game got a little chippy. There was a flagrant foul called. They were able to get back into it. That last TV timeout, is, uh, as it gets close, how tight was it and how was Coach in that last, that last break? Uh, Coach was very calm, man, because he, he believed in his guys as much as we believe in him. So he's very calm. Even though we got – they came back, you know, it's never it's never like, oh, snap, like a tense. You know, just stay the same, stay calm. You got to stay afloat the whole game, never highs and lows. So he's just preaching, just keep going, fellas, just keep going. You got to be more connected here. We've been here before on the other side, so we know what they take. We know what it takes. So just being able to finish the game was very important to us. We got to clean up some stuff, but we'll be just fine. Brandon, congratulations on your season thus far. Uh, stay healthy, safe travels. Hopefully we can talk again, whether it's uh, conference tournament time or NCAA tournament time. Brandon, thanks for making time for us. Thank you so much. Brandon Stroud, senior guard. After three years at Kennesaw State, he follows Coach Amir Abdul-Rahim to South Florida. Boy. Has that AD made two good hires in football and men's basketball oh, the last year? man. And uh, I've got to get this out there, David. we got a question of why all the ACC hate down here. And it's not hate. just no. want to bring it up to people. We, we have been on the record on this show for a while that we think the ACC is going to get poached. Well, and by the way, Friday, 
in the paperwork, in the legal papers, it the ACC literally says they would negotiate a buyout with Florida State. I mean, if that doesn't tell you that, you know, Florida State's going to lead the ACC, and once they do, I mean, the national people are saying Carolina, Virginia, Miami, they're all lined up. Clemson, they're all lined up. They're just they're letting Florida State wear the black hat, do all the dirty work, and as soon as they negotiate their buyout, here comes the cavalry. So what we are saying in the, the back end of this is that we think when these teams leave that the ACC will do what the Big 12 did and try to survive somehow, some way, and we think South Florida's a school that's ripe for the picking to go to the ACC. That, that's all. Just wanted to give a little backstory because yeah. we've been doing this a lot and we're a little flipping at times when we say it. So if you're jumping into the show and you don't listen to every minute every day, just kind of wanted to give you a little backstory of why we have had a little sarcasm with the ACC. Right. And believe me, we're not anti-ACC, but we, once this happened to the Big 12, we said, well, this is probably going to happen to the ACC. And then we're like, well, okay, where would they go for schools? Like they just grabbed Stanford, Cal, and SMU. And we have said forever, like, you know, Mark's son went to East Carolina. Okay. And I think South Florida will literally be at the top of the list. If schools start to leave the ACC, I literally think the first school they will call will be South Florida. And I think about the third school they're called is going to be East Carolina. So that's all. We're just talking about self-preservation for a conference if we're right about the implosion that we see coming and not right. in the, in the not-too-distant future. Believe me, we hate it. We don't want it. I mean, it's it's ruining a big part of college sports, which is rivalries. You know, uh, in our Twitch chat room, FAU, South Florida, beginning with great AAC rivalry. I, <laughs> If they stay, yes, it'd be awesome. If they stay, if they keep Dusty May's going to get, he's gone. I mean, come on, he's going to get a big boy job. Mm-hmm. Right. And so can FAU stay, you know, as a really good basketball program without the only guy to make it a really good basketball program? So, hey, for that matter, do you think the ACC would take FAU? That's ah, for a different time. Okay, along the network, thanks so much for listening. And uh, the Diamond District Bonus Hour is next.